0: Week two of our series, we're calling History, His Story, and Your Story. So we're looking through the scriptures to try to grab hold of the the basics of the Bible. And we're going to spend eight weeks going through the major events and people in the Bible. How effective do you think we're going to be in covering everything in the Bible in the next eight weeks? We're not going to get very far. We're just going to scratch the surface. We'll hit some major events and people. But I want to encourage you to read the scriptures for yourself. If you are a person of the word, if you are someone who looks into the Holy Bible and seeks the truth of God, then that will change your life. Then you won't be blown around by every wind in teaching and get deceived by people. You'll know the truth for yourself. So study the scriptures and try to get a good grasp of what's going on. Last time, we talked about the fall And so everything was very good, and Adam and Eve messed up by eating the fruit they weren't supposed to eat. And then it got a little tense, but some things have changed even more dramatically since then. So we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 6. And let's read verses 5 and 6. Genesis 6, 5 and 6 says this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So it had gotten really bad from innocence to the fall, then Adam and Eve had a couple kids, one of them killed the other one, you know like murder in the first family. We get to Noah, Noah's dad killed somebody like because that person injured him, like there's just violence everywhere. It was just going to be a big mess and here it's described as the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. That is a mess. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So this is a long ways from good or very good. This is a mess. This is God looking at his creation, seeing the potential of the beauty of the human race, the creativity, the glory that can be expressed through these free-willed, intelligent beings that are made in the image of God. And instead, what they're doing is they're creating violence and destruction and hurt and pain and evil all evil, all the time, and it grieves the heart of God. He's looking at this world and seeing that it is just an absolute mess. So what's God's response to this? Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. So what do we do with this? God looks at what he's created and he's like, it's not good. In fact, it's really bad. I regret I've done this. My heart is aching. I'm going to wipe this out. It'd be better for this to be gone than for it to stay. So he decides he's going to wipe it out. Now, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And there's two pieces to justice with justice You've got the crime and you've got the consequence. If something is going to be a just response to a crime, the consequence has to match the crime. So like if someone steals $100,000 from you and then they get caught and you go to court and they say, okay, well, they're going to have to pay $20 restitution and we're going to, and that'll be it. Does that make sense? No, you get stolen from all the time because, of course, you'd steal $100,000 if you only have to pay $20 restitution. But if they have to pay $200,000 restitution, then that's going to be a deterrent. It's going to make it right. In the scriptures, sometimes it's four times or seven times what the harm was. Now, the consequence has to match the crime. And here, rather than thinking God sure is cold hearted, I think we need to understand the depth of the crime that's going on against the creation of God. The depth of what was wrong, that these people were only evil all the time. They only thought about evil all the time. It was an absolute mess and a disaster, a horrible, horrible place. So God, his plan is to wipe out the human race. But there's a little more to it than just wiping out everything There is a plan for sustaining the creation. So let's read that Genesis 6, now verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So there was someone who wasn't just all evil all the time. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms for it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long. So a cubit is about the length from your finger to your elbow, about a foot and a half. So if you're going to translate, do 18 inches. So 300 cubits long, 450 feet long, so longer than a football field. 50 cubits wide, so 75 feet wide. I don't know how wide a football field is. It's, It's really wide. And 30 cubits high, so 45 feet high, so a story on a building is usually about 10 feet, so we 're looking at about a four and a half story building, you know, a four story building with the roof, so 45 feet high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around, so there was a window a foot and a half all the way around, otherwise it 's just dark in there. And opening one cubit high all around, put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. So this is a huge, huge boat. This is bigger than a football field and it's three levels. Verse 17. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you and be kept alive. You are to keep every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Now, this verse is extremely powerful. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. What if God came to you and said, I need you to build a huge, huge boat because a bunch of animals are going to come and you got to get enough food for everybody and just do that. It took Noah, we're not exactly sure, many, many decades to build the ark. It doesn't exactly say, but it's it's probably at least 50 to 75 years, maybe 100 years to build the ark. This was a major endeavor. This was not a simple thing. And so he had to devote his life to building this ridiculous boat out in the middle of nowhere where there's no ocean and he's just building a boat on the dry ground, you know? And, you know, the people apparently weren't very friendly back then. Imagine the teasing that he would have experienced, you know, like, hey, Noah, how's it going? You know, Like, this is a ridiculous expectation, but Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah Walked in obedience. So God's plan when he sees the evil of the world is to wipe out humanity, animals, birds, everybody, except eight people. And then all these other animals. When we see a little bit later in Genesis, there were seven pairs of clean animals, that sort of thing. So it wasn't just two by two. There were also, you know, some were seven pairs and this sort of thing. It's a little bit more complicated, but all these animals come to the ark, and there's there's food, and Noah puts it all together. Now, the rest of the story is the floodwaters come. Noah and all the animals, his family are in the ark, float around for a while. Floodwaters go down, and they repopulate the earth. There's the short version of Noah's flood. But the flood came and destroyed the earth. So what do we do with this? Let's look at three lessons. Lesson number one. Be thankful. Work on your thankfulness skills. It's political season again. It feels like it's always political season. But what if a candidate was to go to a debate and say, you know what? I think life in America is pretty good. We need to be more thankful. We need to look at what we have and just Praise God for his goodness, because in a lot of places, it's a lot worse. And at other times in history, it's been really, really, really horrible. And we have rule of law. We are safe. We have financial opportunities. You know, maybe not everything is perfect, but this is awful good. Everyone would laugh at them because we're cultivating a a mentality and an attitude that everything is terrible. Well, compare it to before Noah's flood, all evil, all the time, violence everywhere. No one was safe. It was a disaster. Noah's dad's killing people. Adam and Eve's kids are killing each other. Like it was a mess. We need to be thankful. We need to cultivate a thankful heart. Look at the good things that you have. Look at the beautiful things in your life and cultivate thankfulness. Very, very important. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So is there something you're going through that you don't have to give thanks in the middle of? Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I don't think this means give thanks for all circumstances. It's give thanks in all circumstances. Jesus didn't give thanks for the Pharisees. You know, thank you, Lord, that the Pharisees are driving religion into the ditch. He he didn't give thanks for that. Jesus opposed the Pharisees, but he didn't lose a thankful heart in the midst of that situation where he saw injustice and all these terrible things going on. He kept a thankful heart before God in the midst of dealing with that and trying to right certain wrongs. So we don't give thanks for all things, but we give thanks in all things, in all circumstances. So lesson number one, be thankful. Lesson number two is this. God means business. The sanitized version of God that we have in today's culture is not from the Bible, and it's not accurate. God means business. Now, we live in a time where judgment is put off. It doesn't happen today, but instead it's been set into the future on a day that's called judgment day. So instead of God doing judgment miracles all the time, you do something wrong at two o'clock, three o'clock, you know, you, you, you get sick or whatever, like these judgment miracles. That's not how it works now. Now what happens is this judgment is put off till the end and we'll have to face it at the reckoning. So now We need to understand, even though we're living in the day of salvation, we're living in the day of God's favor, that God still means business because his justice still stands. He's merciful, he's loving, but he's full of justice as well. So be thankful, understand God's means business. And the third lesson is God will provide a way of safety for those who love him. God saw the world. It was a disaster. He says, I'm going to wipe this out. But hey, Noah, come here. There was a way of safety. This is the greatest disaster that's ever happened on the face of the earth is the flood. But the good news in this is God does provide a way out. God provided a way of salvation for Noah and his family. And it was an ark. It was a boat that protected them from the Wrath of God. God provides a way out for those who trust him. Now let's look at some parallels to the New Testament from the story of Noah. Jesus compares the flood of Noah's day to something. And also in 2nd Peter we see the flood of Noah's day compared to something. So there's a parallel in the new Testament to Noah's flood that we need to pay attention to. If you were living 10 years before the flood happened, would you want to know what's going on? Absolutely. We're living before another major event and we need to know what's going on. Matthew 24 verse 36. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the son of man. So Jesus is talking about his return, the return of Christ, the second coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord, as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. The people on the earth didn't understand what was about to happen. They're going about their normal business. Verse 39 And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So Jesus is saying there's an event that is coming that is going to be like the flood and you need to be ready for it. It will surprise people. You don't know the day or the hour, but you need to be ready. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the same concept is brought up. 2 Peter 3, 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. So here we see again a reference to Noah's flood. Verse 7. By that same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So it says in Noah's day, the world was destroyed by a flood. This is going to be destroyed by fire. I don't really like that very much. That's a strong, strong statement that there is a fire that will come and destroy. Verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now we have a greater promise of a new heaven and a new earth, a place that is beautiful and wonderful and glorious, but that comes after the destruction of this one. So let's put ourselves in the story of Noah. We see here that that there is a New Testament parallel to the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ, that we need to be ready for that day, just like Noah needed to be ready for the day that the flood was going to come. We're in the same situation. Where are we in this story? So the flood equals the second coming of the Lord. We see that scripturally. There's the flood reference reference. That's paralleled to the second coming, the the coming of the Lord. Very important. Then there's a plan for salvation by an ark. You know, there's a plan for salvation to be saved from the wrath of God, the flood by a humongous boat. In today's world, there's also a, a plan for salvation by the cross, not by a huge boat, but by the cross of Christ. That men and women, that people can put their faith in God, put their faith in what Jesus has done, and they can be saved. So there's a plan for salvation in the Noah story and in the story of the coming day of the Lord. So then there's not just a plan, but there was also an ark. Noah built an ark. And in today's world, there's something that gets built too, and. You know, salvation is from the cross, but Jesus isn't on the cross right now. The thing that's being built is the church. It's the agency of God that brings the message of the cross to the world. So the salvation that was brought by the cross is now carried by the church. So the church carries the message of the cross to the world. And then in the Old Testament, there was Noah. He's the one who built the ark. And now, Who builds the church? Well, God builds his church, but how does he build it? He builds it with us. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the ones who are part of the body of Christ. We are the church. And so God builds it, but it's us. And so we're building it too. We're part of it. So we're like Noah. Noah had to build the ark. God had a plan. What if Noah didn't want to do the plan? It said that he did everything just as the Lord instructed. God gave him a plan. What if Noah was like, you know what? I don't know about 300 cubits. How about 250? I think 250 cubits. And what if we did four decks instead of three? Or maybe he's like, you know what? That's a whole lot. I don't really like all those animals anyway. I'm not really an animal person. Let's just do one that's 100 feet long. You know, one deck will be good for us. We'll bring fruit for them. What if Noah just starts putting his own ideas in there? And one thing I thought about when I was going through this is like, okay, I understand why. Because this is so important for the, the continuation of the human race and the animals in all their kinds. I know why God just picked one person to build the boat. You know, like if he had a committee, <laughs> they'd have had a committee split. There'd have been six arcs. You know, they'd be like, oh, well, ours is better than yours. You know, they would have had a big fight and then the whole world would have been destroyed. Because here's the question. If we're the ones building the ark for today, because I firmly believe that the church is a lifeboat, that this, this world is going to face its end and everybody needs Jesus and the church is a lifeboat and we are supposed to follow God's plan and build what he told us to build. How are we doing? How are we doing in building the ark, building the church, building the plan of salvation for the world? How are we doing at that? What is the plan? Maybe we should just cover the plan real quick to make sure that we understand what the plan is. So in the Old Testament, it was build this boat. Here's how you build it. In the New Testament, it's the message of the cross. It's the church. So people are first to respond to God in faith, to trust in the Lord, get saved, have their sins forgiven, and then they step into service to the King of Kings and they become servants of God, children of God in the family business, which is to bring the message of the cross to the world. And so you get saved, and then you come in and you start serving the Lord. You find your way to serve, what you're called to do, your part of the body. You don't have to do everything. You just have to do your little part. I don't have to do everything. I remember the first time I heard that there were 2.3 billion Christians on the planet. My first thought was, well, it must not be all up to me then if there's 2.3 billion Christians on the planet, but we come in, we serve in our particular way. We give, you know, if all of the Christians tithed and gave offerings, it would end world hunger. It would, that would be it. It'd be over. So we come in. We have faith in the Lord, we serve, we give, and we share the message of Jesus with others. We work together to accomplish. The plan of God. In the Old Testament, it was building the ark. In the New Testament, it's building the church. And this is capital C church. That's not good hope church. It's good hope and journey and grace and all the Bible believe in churches all around the world. It's us. It's the big capital C church, the body of Christ. We come together. We work together. And there is strength and power in numbers. And we bring salvation to the world. That is God's plan. How are we doing? Was Noah there building the ark? And he's like, I'm not getting fed. I don't like the music. I'm done. I want to go somewhere where there's better music. Would that even make sense? What if that was in the story? It wouldn't make sense. But we're all called to do our part. So when we step up and we do our part, then what Jesus said is true My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can bring in the weary. And walking with Jesus is easier than walking away, but we have to work together because we aren't called like Noah to build the ark alone. We are called to work together and to do our piece of the puzzle, to do our little bit. I'm called to do my little bit. You're called to do your little bit. And when we all do our part, then we see the incredible power of God, bring salvation to this world. But we must be obedient to what God called us to do. So quick recap, when we parallel the Old Testament story of Noah's flood to the New Testament church, we basically see the the cross is the ark. You and I are Noah's. Every believer is the hands and feet of Jesus. We're here to build the ark, to build the group that brings the message of the cross to the world under the plan of God, under the direction of God. We're to do the part God calls us to do, and we just obey the Lord and serve Him in the right ways. The church is a lifeboat that we're building under God's direction, but people don't want to be Noah. They'd rather judge and that puts them in the place of God. Just like Satan wanted to be God, Eve, though she was made in the image of God, wanted the fruit because it would make her like God. God is the judge. We're the builders. Don't judge. Build. Build your part. That's what we're called to do. I want to look at one verse as we close that we kind of read through real quickly. And that's 2 Peter 3.9. nine it says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So they're talking about the second coming of Christ. And the early church was facing persecution. They were facing difficulties. And they're thinking, come on, Jesus, come back today and take care of this mess and rescue me from the hardships that I'm facing. And so they're, they're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come today. And so even then, almost 2,000 years ago, they're thinking, how come this is taking so long? How come the day of the Lord is so, so far from when we expected it to happen? And that was almost 2,000 years ago. And that's been continuing on. We still wait. What's the reason given in 2 Peter 3, 9? He's not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And there's a picture in my mind that describes the heart of God in this. I don't have a theology for this. Don't think I'm describing what's actually going on, but I think this describes the heart of God. When I see this verse, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. I picture heaven with God, the father and Jesus, the Holy spirit, all the angels in there. They're having their, their day, whatever they do. And I see Jesus look at the father and say, is it today? Am I going today? I'm ready. Let's do it. And the father looks at Jesus and then looks down at the earth. He says, well, let's give Kenny another day. Let's just do one more day let's give Lisa just one more day. Let's, let's do one more day. Just, just hold on. Seeing someone lost, someone he created in love with a plan who's strayed away, who he knows will be destroyed if today is the day. He's like, no, not today. Let's not do it today. And I just see that happening for 2000 years. Well, God is looking at people who he created with love and a plan who have strayed from him or are going to face the wrath of God and his heart breaks. You have the opportunity to be a Noah, to do things in your life just as the Lord directs. You have the opportunity to come into the love of God, the one who created you with an eternal plan and eternal purpose. God has made a way for you. We're going to pray if you're a Noah who hasn't been building, hasn't been serving, hasn't been giving, hasn't been participating, and I want you to step in and get to work. Be a, a Noah that serves according to God's plan. And if you're someone who's outside, who doesn't know the Lord, today is your day to come in. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you for your provision of salvation in the coming day of the Lord. You saved Noah and his family at that time of your wrath, wiping out all that evil on the earth. And Lord, there is evil on the earth now and your wrath is coming. But Lord, your heart is so full of compassion and love that you made a way, not just for eight people on the ark, but for whosoever would believe in you, that they would not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, let us be Noah's who build and who build according to your plan so that your purpose may come forth and that salvation may be brought to this world and that there can be great victory and great joy and great love shared by all. Help us to stand together, not divided, but unified for your purpose. Help us all, Lord, to serve you diligently, to be good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.